It's my privilege to share with you this morning, and I'm continuing in the series that we are going through on, uh, in the book of First Peter. We are in the process as a church of looking at something called family matters, and we're looking at issues around everyday life, and some of them will be contentious, and some of them will be pretty much everyday. But in between that, we're also looking at biblical lifestyle through the book of First uh, Peter, uh, and we're still in chapter 1. In fact, we've managed to get as far as verse 5 so far. Uh, and today our title is looking at protection during times of trouble. Uh, let's just read through 1 Peter verses 5 to 9, starting with the previous verse halfway through. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is already to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in glory, praise, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Ants spoke in, in, in the last service about the inheritance that we lay up and the fact that we are laying up an inheritance in heaven that is everlasting, that is protected and guarded by our Father, that can't be taken, that can't be worn away, that can't be used up, but our inheritance is protected. Today we're looking at the fact that that's a fact, but down here there are challenges that come our way. And it's quite interesting to me that about a year ago I spoke about something similar uh, in a service during the, 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 the um, summer break. It's a, a topic that comes up quite a lot in the Word of God because if we don't realize that trials and challenges and sometimes grief are always a reality in the Christian life, we can become very disillusioned. And I spoke previously about the fact that there's a, a brand of Christianity being marketed which says just accept Jesus Christ and everything will be fine. Accept Jesus Christ and you have an inheritance in heaven. Accept Jesus Christ and your, your, your path is guided by the Lord Jesus. Accept Jesus Christ and he will never leave you or forsake you. But there will be trials and challenges. And this scripture addresses some of the aspects of those trials and challenges. And what I'd like to do this morning is very briefly, because I won't keep us for a long time, is look through these verses one by one and see what we can draw from them. But there's something I'd like to take as an overreaching aspect that Ant has touched on once we've gone through that. So let's start and see what the main points are that we find in these scriptures. Right in the beginning it says, in verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Even the faith that we have is a gift from God. And that faith is shielded and protected. Trials are, and we can write this down, they are going to come our way. And they're going to be of a different nature. But our salvation is secure in God's presence, and His presence in our lives is guaranteed. At no point that we go through these trials and challenges, and we're going to look at the fact that there'll be many and varied, are we left alone to deal with them? I'd like to just draw a comparison. I'm, I'm a, a doting father. I have two grown-up children. And We've been through all the processes of the various ages. One of the most difficult things for parents is to stand back and let your children struggle. One of the most difficult things to do is not to step in and take away the challenge from them and fix it for them. 
Because at times, you need to stand back and let them develop that skill and develop that ability. And so, as parents, we know the challenges are going to come into our children's lives. Right now, my daughter's isolating because she has COVID. She called us last week. She was with a group of friends over the weekend, and unfortunately, somebody in that group uh, brought COVID into it, and she's at the moment going through COVID. Now, as a father, I would like to do anything that I possibly could do to take that away from her. She's, by God's grace, doing okay, but we've heard about the discomfort and the, and, and the symptoms that go. I would love to step in and take that away from her, but I can't. It's something that she has to go through by herself, and in her life, and she's in her 30s now, and in my son's life, there have been many times when I, as a father, because of the love and compassion in my heart, have wanted to step in and stop that challenge being a part of their lives, whatever it might be. But some of them we can't protect them from because some of them they create themselves. And some of them we need not to protect them from because they need to learn and grow strong through it. I'll never forget my daughter learning to ride a bicycle. My daughter's a very strong-minded young lady. And so when the time came for her to learn to ride her bicycle, I put the training wheels on and took her out into the, the, the garden, and we had quite a long driveway which was lined with standard roses which stood up nice and high, and at the end had a wrought iron gate. It was very nice. Back in Johannesburg, and the sun always shone. And I took her outside, and I presented her with this bicycle with its trainer wheels on, and the first thing she said was, Daddy, take them off. She didn't want training wheels. So I went and got the, the spanners, and I took the training wheels off. And then I put her on the bike, and I held the saddle like you see in all the romantic movies, you know, Dad running behind and then releasing her into the sunset as she goes. And she said, Daddy, leave me. I want to do this. And so I stood by, but I kept interfering, and eventually she said, Daddy, go inside. <laughs> and I stood behind the window in our sitting room and watched my daughter ride a few paces and fall off and then ride a few more paces and ride into a standard rose, which is not a pleasure. And then eventually ride a few more paces and ride into the wrought iron gate at the end of the driveway. But in half an hour, my daughter was riding a bicycle. And she had gone through various trials and challenges, and they had caused her some grief, and there was some skin loss and some blood loss as well along the way. But she had a skill which she had acquired, and she had the confidence and the faith that she could do that. I'm not saying that's the way to teach your child to ride a bicycle. They're not all as otherwise as my daughter can be. But there are times when God looks at us as we go through these challenges and stands back and sees them happening. Um, at no point does he leave. I was tensed and crouched behind that sitting room window, ready to spring into action. If the smallest little voice had gone up saying, Daddy, I would have been there. I would have been there. If anything had come to interfere with her while that was happening, I would have been there to protect her. And our Heavenly Father never leaves us in those times of challenge. Sometimes He does stand by. Sometimes He sees us riding into the roses and riding into the wrought iron gate, and He stands by. But Psalm 23 says that even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we shall fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And that rod and that staff in a shepherd's uh, toolbox are used both to protect an animal but also to bring it and, and, and guide it into the right path and he never leaves us or forsakes us no matter what so we are shielded even in times of challenge in fact 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind and God is faithful he will not let you be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear 
but when you are tempted will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And I find it incredibly hard when I see my Christian brothers and sisters, and not only my Christian brothers and sisters, but when I see people going through challenges and trials. It's painful when we see what's going on in some people's lives at this very moment, and some of you might be going through trials that I don't know about. And it's hard to watch sometimes. It's hard for our Father too, but He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's always there to go through. I just want to to bring to mind that it says in verse 6, we rejoice although we may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That's the next point I want us to look at. There are different kinds of trials that we suffer, and some of them I'd need to say at the beginning are self-inflicted. If you are going through a terrible trial because your boss is being harsh with you because you're late every morning, it's not time to cry out to God. It's time to get up a bit earlier. And we need to sometimes separate self-inflicted practical trials that we can fix by just doing the right thing from those that come upon us unwanted and unexpected and uncaused in terms of our own way that we behave. But it says here we rejoice in various kinds of trials. Uh, a dear friend of mine passed away quite recently, and his wife came to me a while later and gave me this wonderful, great, big, thick book, Matthew Henry's Commentary. Any of you got it? It's wonderful, but the writing's just this big. But in making my way slowly through Matthew Henry's commentary on this section, he talks about the fact, he says, the trials are sometimes personal, but also those of, of believers in the area of our duty to God. He talks about the fact that we sometimes have trials on behalf of other people. We are, we are tried by what we see them going through. And he says the following, and he wrote this in the early 18th century. He says, compassion towards the miserable, dishonor done to God, the calamities of the church, and the destruction of mankind. He says, our observation as God's people of these things, of our compassion in our hearts before the miserable, dishonor done to God, the calamities of the church, he talks about, and the destruction of mankind, what's changed? As we look as God's people, the patience our Heavenly Father has with the way that we treat this world, with the way that we treat each other, with the way that we as Christians sometimes behave corporately as the church of God, can bring great distress to our hearts. But also we have that personal distress that comes. Michael Eaton talks about the fact that we have trials and troubles that are an inevitable part of Christian life, and he notes that they often come in batches. Have you noticed that? You know, the devil doesn't have an ounce of compassion in him. When he sees you down, he will kick you. You know, some people say, well, I don't think they say it, but some people think if I just leave him alone, he'll leave me alone. If I don't put my head up above the parapet, the devil's going to leave me alone. So I'll just live my Christian life very quietly. I'll be either what I call a 007 Christian. You know, you, you, no one can know it except you see the secret badge inside the collar. And, and, and the others you get I call submarine Christians. You know, right through the week, they glide quietly through the deep. Saturday evening, the periscope comes up and looks around. Sunday morning, hallelujah, praise you, Jesus, hallelujah. And then somewhere early on Sunday evening, submergence begins. And we sail below because we don't want to upset the devil. He doesn't need you to upset him. He doesn't like you. He's going to kick you anyway. And those trials often come in batches. And when we go through them, we need to realize that they are not always caused by something that we've done. Jesus was talking to his disciples, and they said to him, what caused this man's blindness? Was it something that he did? And he said no. And he also spoke about other people who'd been through disasters. When people and when we are going through trials, 
It's important that we realize that sometimes they are the result of things that are happening in the world. They're the result of the, the cumulative damage that this world has had done. And one of the worst things we have is a sense of guilt that we pile on ourselves when we're going through a series of trials. There's got to be something that I've done wrong. And spoke last week about Job. You know, the, the most wonderful thing of the story of Job, when you read it, is the thing that people were trying to get Job to do at some point was say, well, God is punishing me because I've been bad and he's being unmerciful in his punishment towards me. And he wouldn't do that. He kept saying, I don't deserve this, but I will, do the, I will serve God. I don't deserve this, but I will praise God. Even if I die, I will praise God. He wouldn't turn these trials into something that took him away from his love and his joy in God in his life. Michael Eaton goes on to say, they often come in batches and are made worse when others don't understand what's happening to us. And I want to stop just for a moment and talk about something that's very relevant in our everyday life nowadays. When you are going through trials and tribulations, whatever kind they might be, when you are doubting, when you are hurting, when they're piling on top of you and the trial seems to be almost unbearable, besides the fact that you need to know that God's there with you and turn towards Him, not away from Him, talk to people. We're suffering in this world from people that are, are having ongoing terrible mental health problems because they're trying to deal with it all by themselves quietly and are not speaking out in a time. And I would say to you as a church and as brothers and sisters in Christ, don't go through these things alone. Speak. Tell people where you're at. Tell them how you're feeling. Be honest. It's such a horrible thing that we think as Christians sometimes we have to pretend that everything's always okay. I went to a church where the only answer that you could give when someone asked you how you were, I'm blessed, brother. You could be dragging your leg behind you in, in, in a cast with your arm in a sling and with blood running freely from a cut above your eye and you would say, I'm blessed. Because to do anything less than that was to be without faith. If you're hurting, tell people. If you're struggling, talk to people. If you need help, say help. Even if you're somebody in leadership, even if you're somebody that looks, you know, one of the burdens we place on ourselves, I'm a home group leader. I can't let the guys see that I'm suffering. It'll, it'll break their faith. It doesn't work that way. We all go through trials. We all go through tribulations. We all go through temptations. And we need to speak out and get people alongside us. When we are making big decisions, sometimes we're stressing our minds out about big decisions we have to make, and we're keeping them to ourselves Look for advice. Talk to people of wisdom. Talk to people of integrity. Get people praying alongside you. One of the most powerful things we can say is help. I'm a bit, back in, in, in the 80s, there was a proper metal rock band called Petra in the Christian music industry. You know, it, was, it was the big hair and, and, and the lycra, and, and they were a great bunch because the message of Petra was a strong word-based message. And one of my favorite songs they had was a song that said, get on your knees and fight like a man. When these trials and temptations and troubles come, get on your knees and fight like a man. Tell God about them, but then also tell people about them. Get some help alongside you. In verse 7, we told that these trials come so that the proven genuineness of our faith, which is worth more than gold, which melts in fire, will result in praise and honor when Christ is revealed. It proves the genuineness. There was a, an animated film a while ago, quite a while ago, called Wally. 
Wally. Anybody see Wally? Oh, guys, you've got to see it. It's sort of a post-apocalyptic uh, animation about a little robot that discovers a plant growing on Earth, and, and the, the population of the world is evacuated to a, a massive space station, and they're waiting for the world to become habitable again, and Wally discovers this plant, and the story eventually takes him up to this massive space station where people have been living in a very high-tech world, and basically people are on sun lounges that hover, and that's what they do. They get taken to various places to be fed and to, to, to enjoy themselves, and they, when they fall off their sun lounges, they can't get back on again because they have no muscle strength anymore because they've had no exercise because they've not had to do anything that is difficult physically. Amy Grant, who's a lovely Christian singer, wrote a song years ago that talks about a fat little baby. If we just drink milk and sit down, we're not going to have strength in our muscles. I am at probably the lowest ebb in my fitness that I've ever been. I'm deeply ashamed of it. Getting out of a deep armchair after the rugby, which I'm just mentioning. No further comment. Uh, not needed. When I get up after that, my, my joints seem to crack because I haven't been exercising, because I've let the muscles become atrophied, and I've got to do something about it during this holiday. I've said to my wife, and she reminds me, and I do nothing about it. But now I've told you I'll have to. But our muscles don't get strong if we don't use them. Arnold Schwarzenegger once said, you know that guy with the, I'll be back, with the huge muscles, he spoke about how he got those massive biceps. His bicep session involved picking up a weight that was so heavy that he could do just 10 curls with it. He would just manage. He would be shaking and perspiring and groaning and moaning by the time he did 10 of those. Then he would rest for a while, and then take a slightly heavier weight that he could only do nine curls with. Then he would rest and take one that he could just do eight curls with until eventually he was working with a weight that he could just once get up. And that muscle got big, bigger than it should be, I imagine, but because it was pushing against something and resisting. Our spiritual muscles only grow when there's something to challenge them. Been watching the Olympics. Those guys, I heard Chris Hoy talking some time ago about how they train to deal with lactic acid because the cyclists blow my mind. They cycle at these incredible speeds for a whole bunch of laps and then they go into a sprint. And at that stage, if you speak to them, they will tell you they are in screaming pain in their thighs as they push their way through. And Chris Hoy said he would train on a static bicycle until he fell off and lay crying on the ground. Now, that's a bit extreme, but that's how you get those kind of muscles. Trials prove the genuineness of our faith, not just to God. They prove it to us. There is no way on this earth that you would get me on a bicycle in the Olympic Stadium, even if it was possible. Even if you paid me a vast amount of money, I'm not getting on those things because I know I can't do it. Or rather, I don't know that I can do it. And it's when we go through trials and when things get tough that we see God coming through in our lives and we realize the power that we have at our disposal and we flex those muscles and begin to use them more and it becomes everyday life for us to meet certain challenges and then God allows greater challenges to come and sometimes more grief to come. And he stands behind the sitting room window watching us wending our little faith bicycle down the driveway, loving us and seeing the hurt 
and wanting us to be able to succeed. And it proves, you know, I, I heard a little story, and I cannot for the life of me remember where I heard it, whether it was someone using it as an illustration or saying they had a dream, but someone spoke about this purification by fire, and they spoke about having, I think it was a dream, that they went to heaven and stood before the judgment throne of God. And as each person came up, the books of their life were brought. And the way that they described it, which I found as a useful illustration, was these massive tomes of our lives were laid before God. And he reached down with his staff and touched them, and they burst into flame. And that all that was of no worth went up in flames. And out of that came those things that were done in faith for God as a little trickle of gold that was remained and sustained. This says our faith is worth even more than gold to God. I was loving the story because they then said that gold was taken to make your crown and given to you and spoke about our inheritance. The things that come through faith in God, the things that come by challenge are very valuable to God. But mostly they're valuable to us to understand I've been through this. I can take someone else through this. I can get alongside them. I can, I can trust my God. I know that that faith muscle can work because God hasn't let me down, even though I've suffered, even though I've been through grief. And guys, I can't explain the grief that some of you have had to go through. I know that as I'm speaking, there are people sitting here who have been through horrific things that I don't even know about. And I'm not being flippant about it, but you hear. You hear, and you've come to be in God's presence, and he has sustained you, and he's still with you. Verse 8 says, even if we don't see him now, we rejoice in him and in our salvation. It's through being tried that we see the reality of God in our lives. He's invisible to us now. I can't see him. Bible talks about the Holy Spirit and says that we, he's like the wind. We only know the wind is there because of what it does. We can't see it. But we can see what it does to a tree. We can see what it does to a sailing boat. God's presence becomes revealed to us through what he does in our lives. And he moves in our lives when we go through those trials. When we see what he can do and we see his presence, he's revealed to us. And it says that we are able to rejoice in him. Even if we don't see him now, we can rejoice in the salvation that comes through faith in him as we go through those trials. If we never have a trial in our life, if we never have a challenge in our life, where do we see God working? Where do we see the fruit of that relationship that we have? And so a couple of, of points just to, to sum up, and then I want to speak about something else very shortly. Troubles and trials are inevitable in our Christian walk. Don't feel condemned. Don't feel guilty. Don't look on others with condemnation when you see them going through trials. They are inevitable. We've been told they're going to come in our lives. Troubles come because from time to time they're necessary for our spiritual progress. And not every trial comes from God. Some trials are allowed by God and some of them we bring into our own lives. But he's standing faithful to go through all of those with us if we allow him to have his way. Troubles correctly received have the effect of purifying our faith. They force us to lean on God. And in forcing us to lean on God, when you're leaning on someone, you get to know them really well. You get to know their, their voice. You get to know their smell. You get to know their, their, their presence. And when we lean on God, that's when we get to know him the most. And troubles help us to get our inheritance. As we go through them, we're creating that gold, that refined gold that is so precious. And finally, they shouldn't stop us rejoicing. And I love the example that we have of that, of Paul and Silas sitting in a prison. I, I, I find such 
learning from every time I read the story, which you can read in Acts chapter 16, verses 23 and 25. They've been arrested, they've been flogged, they've been put in the inner prison in stocks, and it says, and around midnight they were singing praises. Their trials never stopped them from remembering who God was. Even though at that point, I want you to notice, they didn't sing praises after an earthquake had let them get free from the jail, after they'd been released, after everybody had said, sorry, we shouldn't have done that to you. They were singing praises at the lowest point, at midnight, exhausted, hurt, bleeding, and in prison, that's when they praised. And that's when God's presence in their lives was revealed to them the most. But what I want to just end with at the moment, or at this time, is the general perspective that we've actually been able to see in the scriptures we looked at today and the one that Anne looked at last week, because he spoke about the fact that we are laying up an inheritance, not just I'm getting to heaven, but in the new heaven and the new earth there is an inheritance for me. And I want to challenge you to have a look at what your priorities are for your Christian life. And I want to read what I wrote here. Is your perception of your salvation just that you are saved from hell and have gained an easy life? Or do you understand that you have been saved to become part of the fullness of God's plan? You are called and part of your, over-equipping, of, part of your equipping is to overcome trials so that your faith and your walk may become stronger and more practiced and that you can contribute and stand in the place you're called to do. uh, sorry, called to be for the glory of God and wonderfully at the same time you're building your inheritance. It's a matter of perspective. It says we'll have these trials for a little while. Our lives are just a little while. We're traveling through this earth. We get to spend 80 or 90 or 60 or whatever years here wearing what I call my earth suit, this body that I have. And then one way or another, my sojourn on earth will end, and I'll be in God's eternity with God's eternal plan unfolding. And my place here as a child of God is to be part of his plan for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. Paul talks about the fact, he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says, one day I will have that inheritance. One day I will be in a place where there's no pain and no suffering. One day I will be in a place where there's no challenge. That's going to happen at some stage, but for now, for me to live as Christ, the reason I'm here is to be in the place that he's put me to fulfill the purpose of God's body on earth, and I'm part of that. I might be the little finger, I might be a hair in the nostril, but I have a place in the body of Christ and a role to fulfill. And that becomes the priority in Paul's life. You read the Apostle Paul's story, and you see him getting towards the end of his journeys, of his mission journeys, and he says, I have to go to Jerusalem. And people say to him, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested and you're going to land up in jail. And he says, I have to go to Jerusalem. And they say, you may die. He says, even if I die, I have to go to Jerusalem. And what he's saying is, my purpose has become more important than my current life. Now, that's a massive challenge for us. But where is your priority in your Christian walk? Is it just the fact that you have been saved and are going to heaven? That's a given, that is shielded, that is protected, that's, it's there. Is that where you're going to stop? Or are you going to say, I'm going to step forward into the places God has called me to? If you do that, there will be trials. If you do that, you're inviting trials. I would encourage you to do that. Because for the body of Christ to function and for this world to be changed and impacted, and my goodness, does it need it. My goodness, does it need it. We're in such confusion and such destruction as mankind at the moment. 
For that to happen, God's church needs to stand up in the fullness of the image of Christ, and you have a part to play in that. Whatever it might be, we need to stand into that, and we need to strengthen those muscles through the trials and tribulations that come with that. But our priority needs to be on things above, not things below. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you've made us your priority. Help us to make you our priority. Father, help us to be brave through challenges, to be brave through trials, even when we don't understand them and they hurt and they cause deep grief. Help us to lean on you and on each other. Help us to speak out. I pray, Lord, for those who are going through trials here that I can't even imagine. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them and remind them of the fact that you will not let them be tested beyond their endurance. But, Lord, we don't want to be flippant. I know that there are those who are hurting terribly in ways I can't understand. Would you give them peace? Would you give them courage? Would you give us all the, the, the courage to stand up and say, Lord, I will serve you, whatever the challenge. Thank you that Jesus Christ was prepared to go all the way to the cross that he didn't turn back, that he never spared himself any suffering, that he was prepared to die for us. Lord, as he was prepared to die for us, I pray that you'll give us the courage to live for him. In his name we pray. Amen.